Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we are positively obsessed with dog behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. My name is Kayla Fratt, and I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training, which is an online dog training business. I am joined today by Ursa Acri, who is the co-owner of Canis Major Dog Training in Denver, Colorado. Today, Ursa and I are going to be talking about the challenges and some of the joys of living in a multi-dog household. So you're considering adding another dog to your household, or maybe you already have a crowd. In addition to more love, more cuddles, and more cute photos, living with multiple dogs can also come with more hair, more poop, and more expenses, in addition to all sorts of other challenges. If you've been wondering about or struggling with a multi-dog household, we're here to discuss some common pitfalls and how to minimize them. And I'm super excited to talk about this today with Ursa because... I've never lived with more than one dog at a time, and I'm hoping to add another dog to my household probably in 2020, maybe 2021. So it's not super soon, but hopefully at some point on the horizon. Versus Ursa, who has lived with like up to seven dogs, he said, at a time. So Ursa is kind of the expert here. Um, so Ursa, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about that time that you had seven dogs and just, just set the stage for us a little bit. I'm not a hoarder, I swear. <laughs> um, well, so, uh, during my time at the Kentucky Humane Society as the behavior manager, um, I lived in a combined household. It was myself, um, who at the time had, three dogs, my boyfriend who had one, and then our roommate who lived on the second floor separate from us, but still in the same house with her three dogs as well. Um, and then in addition to that, we often fostered dogs from, um, from the Kentucky Humane Society, usually on a short-term basis. So weeks or a few months. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've, I've lived in a house with seven full-time dogs that were actually owned by the, the house's inhabitants and then occasionally up to two more. <laughs> so technically nine, I guess. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. And, oh my God. And uh, yeah, we, we managed. Um, fortunately, my roommate um, who lived upstairs from us was also a dog trainer and she is actually now the, the behavior manager for the Kentucky Humane Society. So she was really skilled as well. Um, so we were all really aware of, yeah, the special challenges and needs that come with having that many dogs in, in a space together and basically having your own full-time dog park. <laughs> so yeah, uh, been there for sure. And now I'm down to two, so it's a lot more manageable. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That must feel almost downright empty after that. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Yeah, definitely. So I think, um, we've got five main things that we're going to talk about today. Um, so just to let you guys know, before we get into them, those are going to be spending enough time with both or all dogs, um, some training challenges, competition or resource guarding between the different dogs, um, personality and size matching, and then expectations on the human end of things. So let's start out with number one, talking about spending enough time with both or all dogs. Um, this can be a little bit tricky because I think as we're going to talk about in number five expectations, I think a lot of times people kind of expect that they can just take the two dogs for the same walks. Um, and they can just do everything with the two dogs together. And that might not necessarily be true. Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the, whether or not we need to do separate exercise? And if so, what does that look like, Ursa? Yeah, well, there are some practical reasons why you might not be able to do everything with both dogs, including um, 
both dogs might not be up for everything that you want to do. So you might want to go for a five mile hike and your <laughs> two year old lab mix says, all right, great, let's go. And your 14 year old Shih Tzu says, you know, I'd rather stay home on the couch. So um, there may be some sure, practical reasons. Definitely. Yeah. But there's also, um, you know, the standpoint of each dog should really have some time um, with you one-on-one to bond with you um, and to get all of your attention. And it's kind of like kids. Um, I actually, I only have one kid, so I can't speak to multi-child households, but um, I can imagine that, you know, when you have multiple kids, you want to be able to give each child, you know, some of your undivided attention and have that one-on-one quality time with them. Um, And dogs are no different. If you know, they're the same species. So it's really easy for them to form a relationship because they speak the same language and, you know, they understand each other and they want to do the same things and they have a lot of the same instincts. But since we're doing, you know, since we're working on developing a cross-species relationship with our dogs, um, it, it's a, it takes a little more effort and it takes a little more work to develop that trust and that bond. And it's harder if you have to split your attention between two or more dogs um, to really develop an, a deep bond with each dog um, one-on-one. So, um, you know, I think for that reason, as much as any other, it's really important to plan some time. And ideally every day, but I mean, I know life is life and things get in the way. And so if it can only happen every few days or once a week, um, some is better than none so that you have a little bit of one-on-one quality time with each dog, either doing enrichment or exercise or training or just hanging out together, really whatever that particular dog likes to do is going to be beneficial for for both of you. Um, And it really bolsters all the things that you're trying to do with your dog, you know, from a training standpoint or just getting along in the same household standpoint, if that bond is, is deeper for sure. So, you know, I know like with my dogs, um, and I, I, one thing that I definitely want to address is that I know the feeling and I hear from clients and I feel this too, that feeling of guilt of like, well, I'm taking one dog and I'm leaving the other one or the other ones behind. Um, and I, totally get that. (laughs) Um, Because up until very recently, we actually had three dogs. And so it was sort of, well, at least if we take one, we have two behind to keep each other company. Um, And now that we just have the two, we lost our oldest last month. Um, Now that we just have the two, it's sort of like, oh, if we take one, the other one's going to be at home all alone. But what we do is we make being oh, at no. home. Yeah. I know, I know. And you, you have this picture in your head of the dog at home alone, like just being sad that you're gone <laughs> and they're all alone. And what, <laughs> yeah. what we do to minimize that is make being home alone fun. So when you're home alone, that's when you get the best Kongs or the best enrichment toys and soft music playing and the cushy bed comes out. And so, I, you know, it makes me feel a little less guilty about leaving the one dog behind. And then we make sure that we switch out. So if one gets to go on a hike with us today, the other one gets to go next weekend or the other one gets to go to the park, you know, so we try to keep the uh, the one-on-one time relatively equal, so. You tend to walk your dog separately, too, as well, like almost every day, right? Uh, generally, yeah. Um, w- that was... That was sort of a, out of necessity when we had um, Mina, our oldest dog, who recently passed away. Um, she was pretty dog reactive. And then my Border Collie, Zip, is 
sort of intermittently dog reactive. And so the two of them together could really get each other going if the situation was right or really if the situation was wrong. Um, and so just to keep that um, dynamic uh, sort of off the table, we tended to walk them separately. Um, Zip and Nico together are a lot more manageable and much calmer and um, more likely to be able to respond to me when I ask them to, you know, do things or focus on me or avoid a situation that we need to avoid. And so we've done a lot more walking of the two of them together, but three dogs all together on a walk was a lot. And then when we added in our toddler, <laughs> my like Andy and I were just outnumbered <laughs> yeah. like, by, by double. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it's starting to sound a little bit like a parade. Um, well, yeah, exactly. More than a walk. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Um, and then that's three leashes and three dogs wanting to stop and sniff at different times and, and 12 poop bags because they all have to go like four times. So, um, yeah, we tend to do walks separate most of the time. And so what we'll do is we'll, um, you know, take one dog out for a walk and then come back and then take the other dog. And we have to walk because we live in an apartment. So there's no like letting them out into the yard. We have to take them for walks for potty breaks. Um, so that sort of forces us to spend some some time with them out in the world walking and, and exploring things. So, yeah. But, you know, I know that spending one-on-one time with your dog can be a challenge even when you just have one dog. So, and I'm sure you've right. experienced that. Yeah, I get kind of busy sometimes. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I can only imagine <laughs> one of the things I think about when I'm thinking about bringing home another dog, and this ties in kind of in between one and two, is the training time. Because I, despite being a professional trainer, I don't spend hours and hours every day training Barley. Um, and kind of thinking about how I could see his training goals sliding, especially if I had a new shiny puppy in the home that has all these exciting things that are all brand new to teach the dog. I could start, I can already see kind of in my future um, how I'm going to start struggling to balance all of that. Um, Time management. And I think it's especially hard. Yeah. And I think it's especially hard if your dogs are um, very different. And if one thing is just feeling more fun to you, the owner at that time, it's really, um, it probably starts getting really challenging to remember to prioritize both dogs because they both need it, not just, Because it's what you want to do. I I could totally see myself if I, if I end up with a dog that can actually really do disc and agility, um, which Barley's not really allowed to do because of some, some hip issues he's got, um. I could see myself getting really caught up in the sexy training and kind of forgetting about, <laughs> oh yeah, but Barley really needs to work on some other, some other stuff. And, and he yeah. just needs that mentally. Um, yeah. So. Well, and that segues us right into our next point. <laughs> yeah. Which is training challenges. So, um, and I get this question a lot and I'm sure you do too, as a trainer from people who are seeing me for one dog and they go, well, what do I do with the other dog while we're practicing all this stuff? <laughs> so there are options. There are several options. Um, and one is just really simple management. And it's literally when you're training one dog, the other one goes into another space, whether that's a crate or another room or the backyard with a fun puzzle toy to work on. Um, and that's the simplest way to, um, accomplish training when you have multiple dogs to deal with. It's just literally give the other dog something else to do to be out of the way. 
Um, or if you have more than one person in the household, you can certainly have both dogs on leash um, at a distance from one another. And one dog can be or one person can be working with one dog while the other person is either training the other dog or literally just reinforcing them for a nice relaxed down, which I really like to do. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, then, I love that. Yeah, because then your the, the second dog gets reinforced for just laying calmly while the first dog is being trained. Um, which I think is a really, really mm-hmm. good skill for a dog to have. Like, just sit here and watch while other dogs do stuff. Um, and right. Then, so they're not just learning to mug, mug their person or mug whoever it is who has treats. They're ex- actually, you're able to kind of teach both of them to, one is learning a new skill while the other one is learning kind of a, a relaxed down and away sort of behavior. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I kind of do a version of that. And when I had three, I actually really loved training with multiple dogs. Um, So when I had three, what I did was I started out and now I have had my dogs for, um, well, Nico and Mina over a decade um, and Zip seven years now. So we've done a lot of training and there's sort of, I would say, we've moved out of the really active phase. I kind of jokingly say that they're retired um, because we don't do a ton of training anymore. We kind of just enjoy each other's company a lot of the time. But um, when I was doing more active training, I taught each dog, and this is something that Ken Ramirez, who is um, a really well-known and well-respected animal trainer who used to run the Shed Aquariums behavior program and now um, runs the Karen Pryor Academy uh, ranch up in Washington. He does a lot of stationing, which is teaching each learner to go to their station, whether that's a mat or a target or whatever it is, and hang out at their station while other things are going on. And they get reinforced for staying at their station. And so that's what I did with my three dogs was I taught each of them to lay on a mat and I would bring one dog over to me to work with on a specific behavior. And then each time I marked the dog I was working with for getting the right behavior, I would also toss treats to the other two dogs for staying on their mat. Um, And it's once you get it going, like once each dog learns staying on the mat is reinforcing it gets to be, it gets really easy. It just can take some skill to get going. And each dog needs some individual work in the beginning to learn to stay on their mat. Um, But it's really fun. And then they get to watch each other. They get to participate. They get reinforced for a really nice behavior. Again, just laying calmly and watching. Um, And you don't have to worry about like, well, when I put my dog in the other room, he freaks out because he can hear me, but he can't get to me or, you know, those concerns about putting the dog away. So I think you made a good point about um, making sure that you teach these behaviors kind of independently at first. So maybe for the first couple weeks that you're working on it, the two dogs are away with Kongs while one dog is learning that calm down and away sort of behavior. Um, I know when I first kind of started reading about stationing and training multiple animals at once, I, you know, I went to the shelter and I was pretty pretty novice trainer at this point. And I was like, okay, great. So I'm going to teach these two dogs from this kennel to like lie in the back while I work with the other one. And <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get anywhere because the two that I was trying to get to stay in the corner of the kennel while I worked with the third had no foundation in the behavior at all. Um, yeah. And looking back, like, I don't really know why I thought that was going to work, <laughs> but I'm sure that I'm not the only one who's made that mistake. No. Um, and just remembering that if you've got, if you've, 
if you're trying to ask your dog um, to do something while another dog is doing something else exciting, that's a pretty high level of that behavior. So make sure that your dog can already do that behavior really, really well before you start practicing this. Yeah, you really need high fluency before you try to introduce the distraction of like another dog working. And one thing I wanted to mention, you know, sometimes when you're working with multiple dogs, it feels like you can, you never have enough hands. Um, So I will also like if clients don't have another person at home that can help them hold one of the dogs on leash, I'll tell them just to tether the dog excuse me, and a really easy way to do that is to um, leash one dog and slip the lead over the doorknob on the opposite side of the room that you're in and then shut the door so uh-huh. that the, the leash goes through the door and is looped around the doorknob that's on the opposite side. And then just put down a mat and a Kong with that dog and then their space is managed so they can't come over and mug you or interrupt the training session. But you can then toss them treats from where you are for, for staying on their mat calmly. Uh-huh. Um, so that's one nice way to sort of mitigate like, well, I don't have any way to keep my other dog away from this dog while I'm training and ha- still have them be in the same room together right. so they can learn these things. So that's one way to get around that. But um, Right. Yeah. Because everyone's got a leash lying around somewhere. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. The other little um, training, the other little note about training that I wanted to mention is I get asked to let my clients, um, if I get a second dog, either A, will they pick up my current dog's bad habits or will they teach my dog good habits? (laughs) And I don't know about you and I don't have evidence for this. This is purely anecdotal. But in my experience, if we're talking about manners and one dog not having manners and the other dog having manners, I see it tend to go towards the the dog with no manners being a bad influence on the dog with manners. And if we're talking about fear or confidence issues, I tend to see the more confident dog being a good influence on the dog with fear or confidence issues. Um, And I think it has to do with dogs watching each other and seeing what is safe or what is being reinforced and what's not safe and what's not being reinforced. Um, And that could be a whole episode in and of itself. But I guess in summation, (laughs) um, you can never be certain. And it's really a, a good idea to address any behavior challenges in that individual dog and not assume that the other dog is going to help or hurt necessarily because you never, you never really know. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, I think I've seen some stuff about, I think it's called socially facilitated learning. Yeah. Um, where if one dog watches another dog being trained to sit, for example, that second dog, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm getting all this research right because I heard this a while ago. Um, the second dog would actually pick up on it faster because they had watched the other dog. Yeah. Um, but I think you made a good point of there's kind of a difference between one dog helping the other dog learn a new skill mm-hmm. versus when you're trying to modify an existing behavior, you're potentially more likely to muddy the waters by adding a second dog. I, unless I, I, cause I've seen the same thing with if one dog is really shy and then you pair him with a more confident dog, that's likely to help make that shy dog more confident versus if you've got one really exuberant rude dog and another polite dog, you're more likely to end up with two exuberant rude (laughs) dogs dogs. than two polite dogs. And I have personally seen um, the former example in my own household. Um, Mina, my, my old German shepherd came to me like shut down with fear 
absolutely shut down, like to the point where she was marked for euthanasia at the shelter. And I brought her home and spent, and at the time I had another dog that wasn't great around other dogs. So I kept them separate for the most part because I didn't want to add to her stress. But when I brought home Nico, who is phenomenal with other dogs, she made huge strides, like noticeable strides once she had another friendly dog who was social with people and social with other dogs. So I think it definitely can help with confidence. I think with the manners sort of issue, um, a lot of the time the rude dog is already not being trained and already being reinforced for bad habits. And that makes a huge difference. And it's people who think, Maybe I don't need to do the training. Maybe if I get a well-behaved dog, they'll do the training. And that is almost never the case. <laughs> so I think there's definitely a difference right. here and it can go either way. Um, and it really depends on the individual dogs too. And how much the owners are, how much time the owners are willing to put into managing unwanted behaviors and reinforcing uh, the desired behaviors with all dogs in the household. So... Definitely. Yeah, I think it's probably a risky assumption to hope that a second dog is going to fix your first dog, but I don't think it's unreasonable to hope that your well-trained first dog might help the second dog learn some new skills. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. I mean, and we know resource guarding is normal to a point. It makes sense that, um, I don't know if you saw, but earlier while you were talking, my boyfriend walked in and gave me a piece of cake because he was just out at a bakery <laughs> while we were recording. I didn't and see And if someone came in and tried to take that from me, I would probably stop being radio appropriate and not say very <laughs> nice things and would not be okay with that because I just got my brand new giant piece of chocolate cake that I'm going to eat as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> And that's super reasonable. I don't think many people would be upset with me for that. Yeah. Um, and the same goes for our dogs. If someone comes over to Barley while he's in the middle of chewing on his his delicious raw meat bone and tries to take it away from him, of course he's going to say, no, um, thank you. I would like to keep this. Excuse me. This is mine. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that's really reasonable. And I think where people, where resource guarding can start getting really scary is when it kind of gets turned up past that reasonable level. Yeah. So to take it back to me and my chocolate cake, if someone entered the room and I immediately started throwing things at them before they even went for the chocolate cake, that would be unreasonable. Same goes for your dog. If your dog has a bone and someone walks by 20 feet away and the dog is already growling, that's probably more of a problem that we need to really work on hard. Well, and the other thing in terms of reasonableness is if somebody comes up to you and reaches for your cake and you slap their hand away, that's reasonable. Or if you tell them like, hey, back off. Um, but if they reach for your cake and you yeah. stab them, <laughs> that's escalating. Yeah, like, not yeah, super reasonable. Not appropriate, <laughs> not reasonable. And so I think when people see like a dog that's settled in with a chew toy or Kong or whatever, and another dog approaches and the first dog does a little growl and maybe a stink eye, and they immediately think they have to jump in and mitigate or scold or whatever, that's just dogs communicating. And as long as the dogs are listening to each other, so if the approaching dog goes, oop, my bad, I didn't realize that was so valuable you, I'm just going to go on my way. That's actually a really um, appropriate and important interaction for them to have to learn each other's boundaries. But like you said, if the one dog walks up and the dog with the item jumps the other dog and kicks their butt, that's not appropriate. <laughs> and so there's a point where it's normal and healthy, actually healthy for dogs to give a little bit of communication about like, hey, I'd like for you to give me a little more space. And then there's a point where it becomes a problem. And you know, 
um, I think a lot of the time people jump in too quickly and don't let the dogs work it out on their own. To, uh, when I say work it out, I don't mean like fight it out, but I mean like have those little growls where they kind of negotiate and then go on their way. Like they, they need to be able to do that. And if we jump in and scold that or jump in and interrupt that, they don't ever really get a chance to f- kind of figure each other out and like what the boundaries are. Um, and then it tends, in my experience, what I've seen is it tends to escalate to, well, the the defending dog doesn't feel like they can get their message across, so they have to be more dramatic. And that's when we get to like, you know, jumping the other dog and fights and biting and injury and, and the, the really bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, or the really preemptive stuff, which I always find really right. scary when I when I first see it is like the super oh, that other dog wasn't dogs. even trying to go for it. But like right. you're you're really freaked out about this. You're, yeah. And I think like, one of the one of the things we'll throw out is this is usually rooted um, in my experience and we can't ask the dogs we can't sit them down on a therapist's couch and talk to them about this but it seems like it's generally rooted in in insecurity yeah the dog with the bone is concerned that the other dog is going to take it he's not trying to rule the household right um or take over for world domination or anything he's most like he's mostly just scared someone's going to take it from him. And I think that's important when you're talking about treating it and we can talk, we'll do a whole episode about resource guarding at some point. Um, but so So, some of, what are some of the, the basic tools that people can do, um, to manage resource guarding, to help their dogs avoid needing to negotiate this 24 seven, but also to facilitate those negotiations when they do need to happen. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of different things that people can do. And the first is, For really high value resources, unless and until you know your dogs really well and and know that they can negotiate amongst themselves, just keep them separate. So like anytime I have a new dog over or introduce a new dog to the household um, and even well into the relationship, I generally feed my dogs separately. Um, And even now, you know, we've all been living together for a decade now and I still will feed them across the room from one another. Um, just because I don't want them to have to worry about their meal while they're eating it. I don't want them to have to worry that like my brother's going to come over and stick his face in my food bowl. Um, I just feel like they should be allowed to eat in peace away from each other. Um, and, and away from each other might mean in separate rooms on separate sides of a baby gate leashed or tethered away from each other, um, in a crate, um, And crating is a great way, like if your dog is crate trained, that's a great chance to both build um, more positive association with the crate and make sure that the dogs aren't trying to steal each other's food. It's just everybody gets fed in their crate. Um, Again, it could be opposite sides of a baby gate, opposite rooms, whatever. But I think with high value resources like meals, um, stuffed Kongs, really high value chew toys like bully sticks, it's always a good idea just to keep your dogs separate. Um, and the degree of separation is really up to you and what you know about your dogs and what they can tolerate and feel comfortable with. Um, so that's a, a big one. And then the other thing is if you do have kind of a jealous dog, um, I really like to use classical conditioning. So my oldest dog, Ruckus, was very, very bonded to me and very jealous of my attention with the other dogs in the household. And so I would always make sure that if two dogs came up to me at once, I would give the other dog attention first and then ruckus. And it has nothing to do with dominance hierarchy. It has nothing to do with pecking order. It has to do with classical conditioning, meaning when ruckus saw the other dog getting something good, he knew 
his was coming next. And so the other dog getting my attention predicted that he would then get my attention and it became a good thing for him instead of a bad thing. And so same with food, other dog gets a treat, ruckus gets a treat. Um, so you can, you don't want to create a culture of scarcity in your household where, um, you know, you try to show the dog that they have to wait and they don't get theirs if they're not acting the way you want them to. You want to say like, Hey, this is, everybody gets some, the other dog gets some, then you get some, the other dog getting some is a good thing for you. Cause that means yours is coming next. And so that kind of classical conditioning can really minimize issues. And even with dogs that have escalated to the point where they're fighting over resources, I generally start with some of those exercises where we're trying to get the dogs to learn how to get along together again. Um, just because it makes everybody feel good about being together and getting treats and getting attention. And it makes it less stressful for the dog that's worried about um, the resources. So exercises like that can really help. And I would recommend if that's something that our listeners are dealing with, that they enlist the help of a behavior consultant to implement um, those kinds of programs because they do need to be done properly. Um, you know, we don't want you just like throwing food all over the floor in front of two resource guarding dogs, but, um, but they can be, yeah, when done right, they can be beautifully effective at getting two dogs to decide that they like each other again, or that they're not worried about the other dog being around when they have something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think a huge component of this is just making sure that when you're feeding your dogs or giving them other things that they both think are really, really awesome that you're giving them. Uh, enough space from each other. You know, I, I've been called in before by people who say, oh, my dogs fight when they, when we, uh, when we feed them. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it turns out they're actually trying to feed two dogs out of the same bowl. Oh yeah. Um, and they, yeah, you know, and it was like uh, with that particular client, you know, we just did one hour and I showed them some basic management strategies. We started feeding them on opposite sides of the room and they were, you know, quote unquote cured. Um, <laughs> yeah, because that was all we needed to change. <laughs> right. Um, and that's different from, you know, we, we've both had clients, um, where it's much more difficult to fix it. Um, right. Right. But a lot of times that's all we can do. Yeah, um, and do I would... we want, since you've just got seven minutes, do we want to just cut it off here? Um, let's keep um, going for a few minutes. Okay. I wanted to add, um, I would say, um, if the dogs in the household have escalated to the point that they are injuring one another, that's when I would get absolutely get either a certified applied animal behaviorist or a veterinary behaviorist involved um, who can work with you and and probably a behavior consultant or trainer as well um, will be looped in. But when it gets to be that severe, that's that can be extra difficult to work with once the dogs have escalated to injuring one another. So um, just wanted to throw that out there because we do, we do talk to people where, you know, that's, it's gotten to that point. And um, I consider that to be kind of a, the next level of intra-household aggression where um, we, we definitely want some highly, highly qualified eyes on it. So just kind of throwing that little note in there. Definitely. So going along with that, let's talk about number four, which is kind of personality and size matching. And I think this kind of ties into the resource guarding as well, because one of the important things with resource guarding is it doesn't usually become a problem if the approaching dog is able to respect um, the wishes of the original dog. 
Um, yeah. And that kind of come down comes down to personal and personality and size matching. I know my own dog Barley. Um, he's what I would describe as dog tolerant. He yeah. is very much so a kind of hey, how you doing? Let's sniff sniff butts and uh, move on our merry way sort of dog. He is not very interested in playtime. Um, but he's he's an excellent trainer's assistant dog because that's he just wants to keep moving. Um, <laughs> right. And that works beautifully for him 99% of the time. But one of the things that I'm going to need to think about as I'm bringing home another dog is making sure that I'm bringing home another dog who ideally is matched to that um, and doesn't need a ton of playtime from Barley. And if I do get a dog that is really, really dog-dog playful, um, I need to make sure that I'm bringing home a dog that is able to respect the fact that Barley might not be that playmate 97% of the time. Yeah, I think one thing that, uh, yeah, people definitely need to consider is, you know, what is your current dog like? Uh, What do they like? What do they not like? And how will that either go well or... pose a challenge with a different dog that you bring into the household. And I think it's really important that we respect the dog that we have and not try to force them to be something that they're not. And I think that goes across all training and behavior modification. We need to work with the dog that we have, but especially when we're thinking like, Oh, I can bring another dog home and they will be playmates. Um, that might not be true that, you know, you might have an older dog that doesn't want to play. And if you're bringing in a puppy, you need to make sure that both the puppy's needs for socialization and interaction and exercise are met and that you advocate for your older dog's boundaries and make sure that they get breaks when they need them or that they're not pestered constantly um, and that they don't feel like they have to defend themselves 24-7 from this onslaught of puppiness. Um, And, you know, it's our job to advocate for all of our dogs and make sure all of their needs are met, even if those needs are different. Um, and, And even if that means, you know, stepping in and helping them sort of navigate that with each other so that one dog doesn't feel they have to constantly defend themselves. One dog doesn't feel like they're constantly being told off or, you know, fill in the blank. So, yeah, I think that's that's a great thing to be aware of. And, um, you know, you're so sensitive to and aware of Barley's needs. Um, that's awesome. But I think a lot of people think like, oh, we can just throw them in together and they'll work it out. And that's not, I don't yeah. feel that's a good or approach. Or the other because, dog will teach my dog how to play. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which is, is not something that case. would be delightful, but right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not expecting, you know, Barley's probably going to be seven by the time I bring home another dog. If he's never really been that playful with other dogs by the time he's seven, I should not adopt a super playful six month old boxer and expect that to turn into <laughs> right. Barley's best friend. And I could, I still could bring home a boxer if that's what I wanted. Um, I know that boxers and other bullies are kind of Barley's le- bully type breeds are kind of Barley's least favorite sort because they like that really physical sort of play. That's yeah. not his thing. That doesn't mean I can't bring home a, a Staffordshire Terrier if I really want one. It just means I'm going to have to think a lot harder than if I bring home, say, Another border collie who also would rather just fetch in parallel. <laughs> Another middle-aged border um, collie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I think about that a lot too. You know, with Mina passing, um, I still have Zip and Nico and they are um, now 10 and 11. And I've, you know, we had the fleeting thought, uh, well, I should say I did. Andy probably strangled me when I 
verbalized it, but or wanted to strangle me when I verbalized it. But I was like, we could get another dog. Our apartment allows three dogs. And I was like, my dogs would kill me. Like they, they sort of had this great dynamic going. They were all older. They all get along. They're all really chill, um, easygoing dogs. And I was like, if I brought in a puppy, they would never forgive me. <laughs> and, and I kind of going back to our, our first point of spending enough time, I know I already don't feel like I have enough time to devote to just the two that we have now. And so bringing a third dog in, especially one whose needs were completely different, completely mismatched with my current dogs, where I had to give them extra attention above and beyond, um, you know, what I, what I have to do now. Um, I just, I'm not, I'm not prepared for that. I don't have the bandwidth for that. And I don't think my current dogs have the bandwidth for it either. And so partially on behalf of them. Right. Well, and especially considering if you brought home a puppy or a shelter dog, there'd probably be a lot of new training that would need to happen. Right. So it's not just adding a third dog that's like your current two. It's adding a third dog that also needs to be potty trained <laughs> right, and also right. needs to learn all the manners that Zip and Miko already have down. So it's right. not just kind of adding, right. it's not just adding another like you already have. It's yeah. adding another that's probably three yeah. or four times as much work as the ones you already have. Right. Well, and I kind of, like I said, I, I kind of think of them as being in retirement where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. you have been amazing. Like we have this great thing going. We have a great relationship. We, we all sort of get along really well and, and know how to navigate around each other. And I feel like they've earned just having that for a while, <laughs> you know, and yeah, not definitely. having to negotiate a relationship with a new dog, especially like a younger, more exuberant dog. So, so, you know, part of mm-hmm. advocating for the dogs that you have is just making sure that if you bring in another dog, you're ready to meet that dog's needs while meeting the needs of your current dog or dogs. So just thinking about, um, how to balance in between letting the dogs communicate with each other and kind of telling each other like, Hey, not right now. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, there's a balance between being that, that arbiter and being a helicopter parent. Right. Um, and I know that's one of the things that I am probably going to need to learn how to do if, and when I bring home a, a second dog, um, I right now probably tend more towards the helicopter parent side of things with Barley than is advisable. <laughs> um, and, and and it's hard. And it's uh, um, especially with, as we said, you know, different personalities and different size matches. Um, if you've got a little dog, it's hard to not turn into someone who's just kind of hovering and making yeah. sure that the big dog isn't Doesn't stepping on the little dog all the time. And there is a level of that that is necessary and important. But... Um, at some point, you're also harming the relationship between the two dogs and teaching the the dog that you're trying to protect that they can't do it themselves. Right, right. Um, They're not learning so what, that skill. One thing that I have discovered um, just in the last couple of days that I've been doing that I have found really helpful for Barley um, is we're, we're on a beach town in Costa Rica right now. We're doing a lot of beach runs, and there's a lot of dogs here who um, – like to kind of sprint full on up towards him um, and kind of hip check him and then sniff and then go. Um, So the first initial greeting is really, really rude. And then after that, they're pretty polite. Um, And what I've started doing to mitigate that rather than, you know, going full, full crazy on them and like citronella spraying them or screaming at them or whatever, I'm just stepping in between them and Barley and kind of saying, hey, buddy, slow down. Um, 
and helping that other dog slow down. And that has worked really, really well. And then they've been able to kind of take themselves down a notch before they meet Barley. And that has helped Barley avoid snarking at them a lot. So there's, and you'll learn as you go through kind of how to help mitigate your dog Mm -hmm. um, and advocate for them without helicopter parenting and, you know, teaching them that they can't do anything by themselves. We don't want that either. Yeah. So to change gears a little bit before we wrap this episode up, I wanted to talk a little bit about what rocks about having a multi-dog household. As I've said at the beginning of this podcast, I've never actually lived in a multi-dog household, but I am thinking about adding another dog to my home in the next couple of years. Um, And I think the number one thing that I'm personally excited about with having more than one dog at a time is being able to do different things with different dogs. My current dog, Barley, is going to be six in November. and he doesn't have great joints. Um, he is a shelter dog, and I don't know much about his breeder, but he he doesn't have great hips, he doesn't have great knees. He's cleared to do all the running and hiking that we want, but his vet does not want him doing any intense jumping, twisting, or turning, which means we can do low-level agility, but we're never gonna be amazing at it. Um, and we're actually not allowed to do any like disc competitions. So one of the things that I'm thinking about with my next dog is I would really like to bring home a dog that's got amazing structure if possible so that dog is really physically sound for a different sport that barley is not going to be able to do um that might not be what a lot of people have in mind the other thing that i'm thinking about with my uh, my potential little dog is i'm considering getting a little papillon or a chihuahua so that i have a different kind of relationship with that dog and that dog is going to live a different life than what barley lives and we're just going to have a different relationship together because they're different dogs and that is exciting to me um Ursa, what are some of the other things that you like about having multiple dogs in your home? Well, you know, um, I definitely don't do as many um, sort of constructive exercises with my dogs as you do with Barley. Um, At at this point in their life, I think I joked earlier that they're retired, but um, we're mostly just sort of companion animals. And so for me, bringing another dog home would potentially be, um, you know, my thought would be, what might I want to do going forward? So what sports or activities? So I definitely have that in mind as well. But I really like the fact that um, the dogs, you know, my two get along and they like each other and they can kind of play and learn from each other. Um, And especially like before um, our oldest dog passed away recently, um, you know, she had an issue with uh, separation anxiety. So she couldn't be left alone, but she was okay if just another dog was with her. So, um, Nico, my Malamute mix kind of became her like emotional support animal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and they just had this bond, um, where, you know, having him around really helped her feel more comfortable and less anxious. And so he helped her learn that, you know, there were things in the world that were safe. So it's nice when the dogs can play together or learn from each other. As we mentioned earlier, they don't always learn what you want them to, but sometimes they do. And it's, it's nice when that happens. And, you know, you can definitely facilitate that by um, encouraging good habits and reinforcing good habits and managing for inappropriate behaviors. But, um, you know, the other thing is I really think if the dog is good and appropriate with other dogs and enjoys the company of other dogs, I really think that having conspecifics really contributes to an animal's emotional welfare because they speak the same language, they understand each other's body language, they're generally, you know, a lot of the time going to be um, sort of uh, wired the same way in terms of 
um, what's interesting to them, you know, dogs are very olfactory um, re- um, focused. So it's sort of like they, they definitely understand, dogs understand each other in a way that humans and dogs can't. Um, and I think that's healthy for dogs to have that kind of relationship, again, if it's appropriate. I've definitely known dogs that just are not interested in having relationships with other dogs. And my oldest dog, Ruckus, um, my, uh, who passed away a few years ago, actually, but he, I don't think ever really cared that much to be around other dogs. He tolerated it, but he never sought out interaction with other dogs. He was very people oriented. Um, but with dogs that are, um, you know, inclined to want the company of other dogs, I think it can really help their, emotional well-being and and welfare so Absolutely. i think that's a really and especially part. if you do a good job of matching those dogs um which we talked about earlier in the podcast um my own dog barley can be pretty picky about his dog friends um he's generally very polite but a little standoffish with most dogs and then occasionally he runs into a dog where he's like oh you i like you um yeah, and it's selective. really really fun to watch that um and that's one of the things that i'm gonna have to keep in mind as i get Um, as I think about another dog is trying to figure out what other dog Barley's not only going to tolerate because he will tolerate the vast majority of dogs but hopefully getting a dog that's actually going to make his time alone at home more enjoyable than the time that he currently has which is mostly spent um, sleeping yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and then you know um it's at the end of the day, if you have a group of dogs that gets along, it's just really fun. Um, you know, it can certainly sharpen your training skills, your observation skills. Um, you sort of have your own little micro study right there in your home where you can observe their body language and, and communication with each other and interactions. Um, and so if you have the right group dynamic, it can be really fun and really fulfilling. Um, and that's not to say that having a single dog isn't also fun and fulfilling, just in a different way. So I think that it really de- it really depends on what um, you're looking for in the relationship and what kind of dog you have and what their needs and wants are. Um, but yeah, just again, a, a different dynamic that can certainly be a lot of fun. Definitely. And I think one of the things that's important to keep in mind is this is all um, like what we're talking about towards the end here is kind of best case scenario. And in a lot of cases, I think it's important to acknowledge that getting a second dog um, is probably first for you, the owner, um, and your kind of perception. And if you think that you're getting a dog just for your dog, um, just make sure that you're really kind of critically thinking about whether or not that's what your dog wants and whether or not that dog that you're bringing home would actually be a good friend for your dog. And if you just want another dog because you want another dog, that's okay. You don't have to say that you're getting the dog for your your dog. You don't have to get your dog a friend. If you want another dog, that's okay um so yeah just making sure that you're managing your expectations is what i'm kind of trying to get at i know when i worked at the shelter we'd often get people coming in saying oh well we need another dog because our dog needs a friend and it's like well (laughs) does your dog want a friend is this the friend that he picked um if you want a second dog that's fine admit that um and if you really want a friend for your dog then let's spend some time talking about what your dog wants not what you want yeah absolutely great point so cool. All right. I think it's time to wrap up. So as a quick reminder, my name is Kayla Fratt and I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training. You can find me at journeydogtraining.com. And I'm Ursa Acri. I'm the co-owner of Canis Major Dog Training in Denver, Colorado. And you can find us online at canismajortraining.com. 
before we go, make sure that you subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. If you write a review or um, leave us a message on Facebook, we might go ahead and read that on our upcoming episodes. You can find episode notes and bonus material at canineconvos.com. That's canine all spelled out. Our sponsor today is Canine of Mine. That's letter K number mine of mine.com. You can always contact us at hello at canineconvos.com. We would love to hear from you. Our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's produced royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beheard.org.uk, and our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. That's all for now. 